was good seeing all you young ones up here worshiping the Lord. Wasn't that awesome? Love what God's doing in our young people. It's good to see Elijah back from Bethel. Where did he go? Elijah, good to see you, buddy. He was out there for a year, and he's home for the summer, so bless him. Amen. We got uh, some graduates that we're going to be honoring in a couple weeks as well. So God is doing an amazing thing with our young people, and I'm excited about it. Amen. I want to just pray before I get into the message today. Uh, God is uh, doing a work in all of our hearts, and even as we were singing and worshiping this morning, you know, about the, if, if he moves to the left and he, move, and he moves to the right, I'll move to the left, I'll move to the right. And even where we're at right now, there is a moving that God is asking us to do, even in the messages that we've been sharing. And I'm really excited about getting to talk about it myself as well. So let's just uh, pray and prepare our hearts. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it does not return void. And so today, God, as we read your word, as we declare what your word says, I pray, God, that you would uh, begin to prepare our hearts where we would all be fully in. We would all say yes to what you're doing. We would all, God, cooperate with you and say, God, we want to move to the left when you're saying move to the left. We want to move to the right when you're saying move to the right. So, Lord, we just submit our hearts to you this morning. As we preach and declare the word, I thank you, God, that it's going to accomplish something powerful today in our hearts. I thank you, God, that it's going to plant and, and God, you're going to use the word of God today to convict and challenge and to inspire and to encourage us, God, to move forward with you today. So, God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, from teenagers to wonderful old saints, God, that you would do a work in our hearts today. And, Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. Well, we've been on a series. If you're just joining with us, we've been on a series over the last several weeks about discipleship. And uh, I'm going to remind us of the scripture that really is the context or the setting by which all these messages have been flowing through. And what I want to do is I want us all to read this together today as we remind ourselves what God is commanding us and what he's saying to us. So if you would read this with me, therefore go and make disciples. Let's start over. I need to hear you guys. Ready? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Everybody say amen. 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 May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. That is his holy word. Alex and Jeff over the last several weeks have been doing a great job of sharing on discipleship and, and really a strategy of discipleship that we're wanting to move towards. And uh, I, they've been doing a great job. But I want you, I want you guys to realize that this, this strategy and what we're doing and what we're starting really has been going on for about, a, well, for 24 years. But God is bringing a greater definition of it over the last year and a half as, as Alex and Jeff and Tom and I and Shelly We've been reading books about discipleship. We've been reading and studying God's word. And um, Alex and Jeff have actually been doing discipleship a lot more at home and that kind of stuff. And so this isn't something that's just uh, a real light thing that we're doing. And it's not, it's not a program. 
Uh, we're really talking about a lifestyle, and we're talking about a discipleship movement that God is wanting to do in us as individuals. And so today, my goal today is not, is really to add to what they've already said, but, but really my gift as a shepherd and as a pastor is really to encourage us to move forward in this. And so my goal today is to really take what they've already said, what they've already declared, and begin to put my pastoral gifting on it to encourage us because the word encourage means to put courage into okay and so where we're going in this work of discipleship in our hearts and in this church it's going to take a lot of courage it's going to take a lot of strength because it is not something that is it, your flesh actually wants to do and so we're going to need to be encouraged to press into what god has us to do. The word encouragement also means to support or to give advice so that someone will do or continue to do something. So my goal today is to encourage us and to help us as a group, as a people, as a church to move forward in this great commission, in this command of making disciples within this house, within our relationships outside of this place, and to the nations. <laughs> But, but we're starting with moving and making disciples first in our homes. And as we make disciples in our homes, then we have greater influence to make disciples in our friendships. And as we make disciples in our friendships and at work, we go to the nations and we, we bring the kingdom of God. We bring salvation to the lost. And so we're in a process of bringing a greater definition and strategy to this house when we're talking about uh, discipleship and so this is where we're moving I pray to God that as we talk about it you know that we take this commission very very serious from the Lord because even in my own life many times I've taken this as a suggestion rather than a command anybody ever done that 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 was a suggestion for the disciples but it's really not a suggestion for me it's, it's, a, it's a command, and so I'm going to get into some myths today. Today what I want to do is, as I'm encouraging you, I want to go into four myths about discipleship that I think the enemy uses against us to keep us from being a disciple or discipling others. And so I'm just going to go over four of those myths today and talk about that, and I pray that it encourages you to really move forward in your family and in your life as a disciple and a disciple maker. So you guys with me on that? Yes. If you weren't here last week, what you'll want to make sure you do before you leave, you'll either want to pick up, uh, Alex and uh, Jeff made a reading plan that we're starting this week. They made a reading plan, uh, and they also gave us uh, a strategy on doing discipleship groups and how to do that in your homes. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to listen to last week's message because uh, they, they showed a, an example of what a discipleship group, group could look like as we move towards this. And it was really, I think, really practical and good. Did you guys like that last week? But if you weren't here, please go online to our website and watch that, that video again. Because it really will help you as how to move forward with your own family or maybe some friends. It'll help you to make a discipleship group and help move forward in that. So you'll want to get that stuff. And I'll, at the end of the message, I'll share some other places that you can get that as well if you want a digital format on that. So we're going to go with here in Matthew 28. And I would like to, like I said earlier, I'm going to address a few uh, myths. 
Um, the first myth that I want to talk about is number one, and you, if you want to take notes, you can do that. Myth number one is, this is not for me. I'm not called to lead and disciple others. This command was for the apostles and leaders in the church. Um, I used to buy into that as a young Christian because I didn't want responsibility. And at first glance, when we look at this scripture, it, it seems like you're right when you say this is not for me, that it's actually for leaders, because who is Jesus actually talking to as we look at this scripture here? In, I, I went to verse 18 because I wanted you to set the context of what was going on with this scripture. And it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And I want to set a little bit of context to this message so that we're all on the same page on the time frame of what was taking place with the disciples and the early church. Because Jesus had already raised from the dead, okay? He had spent 40 days on the earth. After his resurrection, he had been seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. In one location, there were over 500 people that he showed himself to. And so he is getting ready to leave the earth and go to heaven with the Father. And he is getting ready to leave them. He is going to send the Holy Spirit, which is the day of Pentecost. He is going to send the Holy Spirit to them. Some days later, he's going to tell them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. But he is getting ready to leave the scene, and he is giving them this commission. And he's telling the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles, if you want to call that, he is telling them this very important thing as he's getting ready to leave. And this is our commission. But he says to the 11, now, when he, what's really funny, too, if, if, you, if I set the context as well a little deeper, they were in Jerusalem, but they're going to Galilee. Now, to, for you guys um, that own a car, going from Jerusalem to, to Galilee, you'd probably be there in about 45 minutes. Well, guys walking or riding a camel, this would be a three to four day journey because they were going back to the southern part of Galilee where, where Jesus had met with them on many times on the mountain. And so he is sending these 11 guys up there because he's going to give them the commission. He's going to give them his final dissertation, okay? Final thing that's very, very important to him. And so he's in there, so they're going to Galilee and they go there. Look at what this says, though. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but what? Can you imagine doubting at this point in time? It's really hard for me to wrap my mind around that because we know the end game because we're on this side of glory. But they were walking through something where things weren't working out the way they thought. And they were, some of them, of the 11 disciples, they were actually doubting what was going on they were confused and so it, it's just hard to wrap your mind around that but all of us doubt all of us have areas in our life where we doubt the lord we doubt things about the lord and even these guys it, god shows their humanity and, and, and he and they doubt what is going on and then jesus says to them again all authority in heaven has been given to me Therefore, since that authority has been given to me, I am telling you, I'm giving you that authority to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. Say, that's for me. That's for me. So, as I look at the scripture, 
We could say in context that he was only speaking to the 11 disciples, but what was the command that he is, there's a command inside the command. So just so you know that it is not just for the 11 disciples, there is a command that's inside this command, and the command is, he is telling his 11 disciples, this is what I want you to do to make disciples, I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them. Everybody say, make baptize and teach that's what a disciple maker does they they make disciples they baptize and they teach people to obey the word of the lord and, and to obey god and his teachings and so the command inside the command is this he is telling the disciples what to make these disciples to baptize disciples and to teach disciples and then he says and teach everybody to do that then he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I command you. What is he commanding them to do that day? He's to, he, 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 is, he is telling, go make disciples, but make the disciples that you make, make them make disciples. I'm commanding you that when I make, you as a disciple, 11 guys, you make disciples, you baptize them, you teach people to obey all that I command, and you tell them to make disciples, baptize. That's why, we don't, that's why I don't do all the water baptisms. You know, in, this, 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 uh, in two weeks, we're going to be doing a water baptism at our Memorial Day picnic, and I pray to God that we normally have anywhere from three to ten people get water baptized. Praise the Lord. And make sure you see this guy on the front row if you want to get discipled. But that's why... I don't do all the water baptisms. Why? Because we're called to baptize people. If, if you know somebody and you're affecting somebody and they get saved and you're a part of their relationship, we're going to have you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But at any rate, in this command here, there's a command inside the command that we are to go and make disciples. If this, if this was just for the 11 disciples to disciple the nations, then discipleship would be only for one generation, wouldn't it? Discipleship would have had to have stopped with that, that generation. If we're not called to disciple, if this is not for you, then, this, then, in, then in this case, because it was for the apostles, then all discipleship would have had to stop. How would the nations have been reached? How would have Jesus said, I'll be with you to the very ends of the age? And I tell you what, here is the thing, and I pray to God as we're moving through this as a church, I want to make it very, very difficult for people not to disciple someone. I, I want you to feel holy pressure here in this house for you to pour your life into someone. You're, you're not retired, you're going to get refired. You're not too young, you're going to disciple someone younger. You're not too old, you're not too dumb, you're not too anything. But we are all called to disciple people. And so the myth one, that this is not for me, we are commanded to do this, and if we love God, making disciples is for me. So if you say that with me, making disciples is for me. I'm going to say it again. Making disciples is for me. Making disciples is for me. Absolutely. 
So that's myth number one. It is for you. And so as we look at this scripture, it was for the apostles. The apostles were teaching others to do it, and we have to teach others to do it. And so you need to remove that. I, I had someone tell me here recently, I'm a follower. It's not for me. I said, that's not true. Yes, you are a follower of Jesus, but you are not a follower when it comes to discipling other people. You are a part of helping others know how to follow God. Can I have an amen on that? Amen. amen. So don't let that lie keep you from being inside the game. The second myth is, I have not been discipled. How can I disciple someone else if I have never been discipled? And here's what I want to ask. i got a question for all of us. How many, with a show of hands, if somebody has discipled you for, say, 6 to 12 months, where they've helped you to learn how to read the Word, to study the Word, to memorize Scripture, to, uh, they've, they've been a part of your life in teaching and helping you to obey the Lord, holding you accountable. If, if anybody has went through that kind of relationship, would you raise your hand? Okay, we got quite a few hands up. That's good. That is, in America, rare. I'm going to give you a story about my own life. I have had two men in my life who have discipled me for a short period of time. My brother-in-law, Terry, was my pastor for several years, and he discipled, him and his wife, discipled Karen and I in our marriage. As we were beginning ready to get married, he was going to marry us, and there was this season where we went through, what does it look like to obey God in your marriage? And that was a short stint of being discipled. I also had Pastor Lynn Furrow disciple me for a short period of time, and his discipleship was on leadership, starting a church, the five-fold ministry. It was on the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It was on team ministry, and it was all about leadership and the work that God had called me to in this house. And it was a short period stint. But to be honest with you, I have not been discipled. You do not have to be discipled in order to disciple others. Let me ask you this. Who discipled the Apostle Paul after his conversion? I realize that he studied under Gamaliel for 10 years and was a Pharisee. He knew the Torah. But after his conversion, Paul gets radically saved, and he gets knocked off his horse, and he's blind, and Ananias who God comes to in a dream, says to Ananias, go to Saul, he's blind, and I want you to heal him. And Ananias is scared to death to go to, to, to Saul because Saul is killing Christians. He's putting them in prison. But Ananias obeys the word of the Lord, and Paul, Ananias goes to Paul, and lays hands on him, and his eyes are opened. He is healed of his blindness. Scales come off his eyes. Ananias lays hands on him, and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He actually gets water baptized, the Bible says. In Acts chapter 9, he gets water baptized, Paul does. He spends two or three days with the disciples, and he's gone. He is not, he is not decided to, anywhere in the Word. You can't find it in the Word. There is, he did spend some time in Arabia, but there is no, no recording 
of Paul getting discipled. He immediately starts preaching the gospel, and he immediately starts discipling. He, and Timothy begins to be his spiritual son, and Paul begins to do the work of the ministry. Now, the reason I think this is important is many people don't disciple others because they've never been discipled. Now, I believe me discipling someone is the best scenario. Us doing it and you being discipled before you start discipling someone else, I believe that is the best scenario and that is what we're shooting for and that is what we're going for. Can I have an amen on that? But just because you've not been discipled does not mean you don't need to be in the game. You've got to get in the game, and you've got to be a part of what God is doing in this hour. And you need to start pouring into somebody's life besides your own. It is the quickest way to spiritual growth when you actually are helping someone else grow and obey the Lord. When they come to you and you go, what does the Bible mean about this? And you go, oh, dang, I don't know. And you're going, do I tell them I don't know? Do I look like an idiot and tell them I don't know? Yep, you tell them you look like an idiot, and you go, I don't know. We'll find it out together. Good question. I never thought about that. Let's get in the Word. Let's study the Word. Let's find out what the Bible says about that. Let's read some commentaries on it, and we'll go there together. Really, the only requirement for anyone to be a disciple maker is that you're born again and that you passionately love Jesus. You're going to make mistakes. In 24 years, I've made a boatload of mistakes. We're just, you know, Tom repented even as a church for us several weeks ago where we weren't the multiplication piece we had left out, where we were expecting people to, dis we were discipling people like crazy, but we weren't expecting them to disciple someone else. And there's other things where we fell short as a church in the area of discipleship. And God is correcting those things. Are you glad that he's correcting those things? So if you love Jesus, that is really the only requirement. Last week, Jeff and Alex did a great job of sharing that very point, And I'm emphasizing it again. But if you've been saved two weeks or a month, you can always find somebody that's only been saved for a week. And actually, you can go with them through the Bible, and you can actually help them. But this whole thing about not being discipled has held so many people back from just getting in the game because you feel inadequate. Does anybody feel inadequate? Anybody feel like you don't know what you're doing? Welcome to the party. I'm still learning. So, what we say is go ahead and get your family together, maybe get some friends together, and start doing it, and don't follow this lie. I have not been discipled, therefore I can't disciple. Myth number two can everybody say myth number two is a lie? Myth number two is a lie? Myth number two is a lie? I can disciple someone. All right. Myth number three. I don't know enough yet. I'm not mature enough yet. Once I learn and grow enough, then I will disciple someone. How many in this park feel that one real quickly? Come on, give me, give me one. Give me two, 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 two. Give me three, three, three. Throw four, 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 four. Five, 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 six. Yeah, dime a dozen, dime a dozen. Absolutely. Man, this was the one that kept me back for years. 
I've got to mature more. I've got to know the Bible more. I've got to do this more. I gotta, I got, I'm just not there yet. I, I don't know it enough. Well, myth number two is a lot like myth number three. And many people think because they're not ready and they don't know enough, they think that discipleship is for the pastor, the mature, the specially devoted people in the Lord. It's not for them. Like there's two classes of Christians. There's the holy Mature ones like Tom Preble, <laughs> Jeff Julian, Alger Julson, Karen Haler. And there's the peasants. <laughs> like Eric Haler and, and these low life that know nothing about the Lord. Like there's these two classes of Christians. And if we're not careful by, by saying that, what we'll do is we'll create a culture of really, a culture of, of cheap grace. Because what we'll do is we'll, we'll put grace all over the person who is not mature and then they have no responsibility within the kingdom. And, and that cheap grace then creates this culture to where Christianity doesn't impact our lives. Christianity doesn't make me change anything in my life that I don't have to move forward in my walk with God If there's the higher ups and then there's the lower two-class system No, there's only one class of Christians in this world and it's called fully devoted lovers and passionate lovers of God that that are maturing I've never met a mature Christian. I've met maturing Christians And so we're all in that boat and all people we whether we know the word enough enough or not whether we are learned enough it doesn't matter what i found in my life is as i pour my life into other people and as i help them to obey the lord that is where i've grown the most when i've challenged people man don't be unequally yoked when they're getting ready to get married and they're wanting to marry an unbeliever and i'm challenging them to obey the word of the lord and i'm discipling through that situation and i say don't do that and so many people get mad that the Word of God says that. The Word of God says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And the Bible says as a disciple maker, I'm to teach you to obey the words and the commands of the Lord. And so many times in relationships, we just don't want to hear what does the Bible say. But we're writing that ship. Can I have an amen on that? If you're truly saved, it should radically change the way you live your life. If you are truly saved and born again, it should radically change the way you live your life. In America, we have allowed Christianity to be a, a, a social club, a, a, a I'm in because I believe, but it hasn't changed a lot of people's way of living. Is that true? And discipleship is one of those areas where we must obey the word of the Lord in helping people in our lives. 
If you're truly saved, it will radically change the way you live your life, and it will radically change the way you share your faith. It will radically change the way you get involved in somebody else's life to disciple them. So myth three, that I don't know enough is actually an excuse so that I don't feel guilty. <laughs> Ouch, I know. It's an excuse. So find someone younger in the Lord than you and start discipling them and watch how your knowledge grows and watch how you quickly grow and that other person grows in the Lord. There's nothing more refreshing when you see people hungry for the word and wanting to grow in their walk with Christ. So, so passionate. Now, I'm not saying this when I just ouched you. I'm not wanting to not extend grace and mercy and compassion and realize that this is a process that we're going through. All we're doing is today, these myths, we're throwing out the excuses of why we don't do them. We're attacking the lies and the perceptions in our thinking that keep us from moving forward. So if this lie is embedded in your heart that you, are, you don't know enough yet, I say just kick it out. Say, no, that is not true. I do know enough. I'm born again. I love Jesus. I know how to worship, and I'm going to start there. And so it's about really starting in this process rather than getting hung up with letting the lie perpetuate itself. Can I have an amen on that? Okay, well, the fourth one, I'm going to move right along here. We're in good shape. Myth number four, it will just happen. Everybody say that. It will just happen. This is probably my favorite one. I left it to the last. If people just go to church and stay involved, they will become disciples of the Lord. Everybody laugh at that. I really thought that when we started the church. Man, if we can just get them to come to church, they'll stay involved. It'll just happen. They'll, they'll become disciples. Do you think that is true? Well, I'm going to unpack that for just a moment, if you don't mind. If I go to church and have my kids in children's church and youth events, it'll just happen. Right, parents? My kids will be so excited about Jesus if I just go to church, get them in youth, get them in children's ministry, get them through the process of church. Ba-ching! Isn't that what's happened to everybody else's kids? You're right, Noah. It doesn't work. Coming to church, children's ministry, youth, Bible study, prayer, all those things are amazing things that we do to grow closer to Jesus. That is no doubt about it. Can I have an amen on that? But going to church will not make you a disciple of the Lord any more than going to a basketball game will make you a basketball player. If I just show up to the basketball game looking like this, I probably won't win too many basketball games. I probably won't be a starting five, will I? I used to be able to play a little bit. What will happen to that? Still love it. <clears throat> but what does basketball playing require? Training, practice, lots of self-discipline. To be a good basketball player. Yeah. 
any sport, tennis, hockey, you name the sport, what does it take in order to play a sport? Football, soccer, huh? A coach. But it requires you to practice. It requires you to be a part, and it requires a coach. It requires somebody to help you, to disciple you in that sport in order to get you. What does it take to be a computer program or an engineer or an electrician? It's an apprentice. It requires someone to show you the ropes of that, that sport or that, that profession. When I first went to work at the bank, I didn't start making loans all of a sudden. No, I had to learn tellering. I had to do this. I went from the consumer loans to mortgage lending to commercial lending and all that kind of stuff. It was the process of teaching and, and, and learning that process. Is that not true? Is that true in nursing? Do we make mistakes in nursing? Do we make mistakes in electricians? Do we make mistakes detailing cars? Do we make mistakes at Chrysler? Yeah, we made mistakes in the process of learning the trade. But we have to have a coach. We have to have an apprentice, somebody that's showing us the ropes of how we get there. It doesn't just happen. I'm going to tell you a story. I remember this so clearly. And I remember my boys being so frustrated because they both played basketball. And I'll remember when we would go take them to the shooting coaches or whatever we would do, and they were ready to play basketball. They were ready to, they were ready to play the game. Don't, I don't want the practice. I don't want the dribbling drills. I don't want the shooting drills. I don't want the, to memorize the plays. I don't want to do I want to play basketball. Has anybody ever been there? It's like, oh, man, don't do the practice part. I don't want the practice. Let's get to play the ball game. And I'll never forget when we went to a shooting coach one time. They put Abraham right in front of the book at basketball, and he had to put him in the hand, and he had to do this, and he sat there, and he had to do it. He had to hit three in a row there, and then he'd go back. The kid was already hitting three-pointers. What are you doing? Okay, do it, Abraham. Abraham, do it, yeah. Doing three more, and then he back up the free throw line. He would do that every time. Do you remember that, Abraham? I was like, dude, and you, what kind of disciple maker are you? Creating muscle memory, creating the fundamentals of the shot, doing all that stuff. I'll never forget taking those boys to the YMCA. Now, you can disciple kids in sports, and you know what? We have, there's a lot of problems with sports in our culture. A lot of idol worship. A lot of crap that's, that shouldn't be happening within families, and be careful not to get sucked into it. But I can remember in that process of training my boys, and I'd shoot the passes out. We'd shoot the passes, we'd go to the Y, and at practice, they are, they're shooting shots. They'd probably do 100, 100, 200 shots at a game. And you know what, what's funny is, and this is, I mean, but this is how it is. When you practice and practice and learn and grow, Joel still has, I think he's still third in the state for three-point shooting percentage at, at 63%. Hundreds of shots from the corner. Hundreds of shots from the corner. Why? Hundreds of shots from the corner. Muscle memory. Now, that doesn't mean nothing. That, that third in the state means nothing today. Who gives a rat's tail about it? It's, it's, it's in a book at the Hall of Fame. Big whoopee hooky cushions. It, it, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because it's for a trophy that doesn't last. Once you get out of high school, you're just a big baby pupper. You, you, you get big and you get the papa dub. 
And nobody cares that you shot 63% from the three-point line. It's over. It's for something that doesn't last. But we train for something that will last. We train for something that will last eternity. And that's what I'm fighting for. And as my children have transitioned from the process of learning that through sports, now they're having to learn that through their godly life in Christ. Wished it would have happened a lot sooner than it did, but it happened. And now they are learning and growing in their faith and their devotion to the Lord on their time, on their schedule. And yes, you want more at times, and yes, you hope that it goes better. But by golly, it's that discipline. When we were doing the, 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 the soap journals and the things at home when they were little, those things do pay off later, guys. They pay off. But we're wanting to win a prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We want the crown that will last forever in eternity. And that crown comes with discipline. That crown comes with training. That crown comes with getting in the word with others. That crown comes with discipleship and falling in love with Jesus more and more. I don't want to, I don't want to form a program. I want you to be totally, fully devoted followers of Jesus where you love to get in the word together and it's causing you to passionately love Jesus. If we do this discipleship thing and our hearts are not connected to it and it's just a routine, it will produce no life. It will be religious jargon. But it will require discipline. It will require effort because I promise you, just like my boys hated those drills, two balls at a time, Two balls at a time, running killers, doing all the shots, doing all the stuff that they did. That training, they didn't want to do it. But when they did it, it produced results. In Hebrews 12, 11, one of my most paced, one of my favorite, favorite passages in the Word. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it seems so painful. But in time, however, it produces this harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by that discipline. It's that discipline of the word. It's that discipline of prayer. It's that discipline of studying the Bible and going, God, show me what you're trying to show me. It's that discipline of every day reading James chapter 1, James chapter 2, getting in the word. It produces righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it we've got to grow up we've got to mature we have got to begin to be people of the word of god the bible i mean we had a prophetic word several years ago with denny kramer he said they say you're not theologically sound but i say we'll show them because we're going to get theologically sound because the word of god is a lamp to my feet it's a light to my path can i have an amen and if you think your children are going to get up and do their hair journal and be excited about it, you have another thing coming. If you think when we start this with our families and your children and you start doing the hair journal in your home, Jeff testified that there are some times where he is frustrated because the boys don't want to do it. It just happens. It's just like the, the basketball drills. You don't want to do them. 
But if you want to play on the team, what do you got to do? If you want to start, you got to obey the coach. And our coach Jesus says, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It's getting hot up here. Dads, we need you. Most of the women of this church have been doing it solo. Dads, hear me. We've got to have you pour it into your children. And this has to be a priority in your home. You have got to pour into your children. Young adults, you have got to get in the Word of God. You have got to make this a part of your life. There is no way you're going to survive the, the, the onslaught of the world without the Word of God. How does a young man keep his way pure before the Lord? By meditating on his Word both day and night. If you think for a minute you're that good, it ain't going to happen. It is through the Word of God. It's through the renewing of your mind. It's through accountability. It's through doing it together with other people and not doing it alone by yourself, thinking you're an island of yourself. Uh -uh, it doesn't work that way. Dads, we need your help. Mothers, we need your help. Grandparents, we need your help. Students, we need your help. This discipleship plan will seem boring to your children, but don't quit. Don't be passive. But remember, it won't happen on its own. It won't just happen. Everybody say, it won't just happen. I've got to be proactive. Well, the greatest discipleship plan that I've ever seen has been out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and I call it Discipleship 101. When Moses declared this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. T talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now together, let's read this. This is for me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Last night, Karen and I were watching The Chosen. And we've just started it. So we're at the beginning. My heart, as I was watching it even last night, as Jesus was discipling these little kids that would come out to his campsite. And he would talk about the kingdom. 
And what I loved what he did, and, it, and this, is, was in Jewish, this is in the Jewish culture, and he would ask them what Isaiah 45 said, or Isaiah 55, and the children would say, and they, would, they had it memorized, they would say the scripture, because this is exactly what Jewish people did. They memorized scripture, and they taught it to their children, and they taught it to their children's children. I pray to God that when that little Evelyn is big enough where she'll be able to say, Papa, Jesus says in his Bible, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. I pray that Abner says, Papa, this is what the Bible says. How many want a legacy like that? I thought I was going to be called Pops, but Evelyn changed it to Papa. She has great influence over me. What I want to say is we can do this together. I'm telling you what, we have made mistakes, and parents, don't let shame beat you up where you've made mistakes as parents, and, and maybe your kids are wayward in certain areas. Do not let shame and condemnation eat you alive. I say we can move past that, and we can bring, there is still hope for our children if they're lost. Can I have an amen on that? We can do this together because what's going on right now in the spirit is God is awakening the hearts of the fathers. He is Malachi 4. We know the scripture. I got it memorized. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God is turning our hearts towards our children. Our nation needs to have its hearts turned back towards its children. And it starts in the house of God first. We don't need absentee parents any longer. We don't need passive parents any longer. We don't need parents thinking it'll just automatically happen any longer. I've done it. I wore that t-shirt. It didn't work. I'm praying for discipleship movement. That's what we fasted for back in February. The discipleship movement of teaching others to obey and follow God. So here's what I want to do today. I want to pray for us because I do know that shame of doing it wrong can really wreak havoc on us. Shame when our kids are away from the Lord can wreak havoc on us. Shame can when we're not discipling anybody and this message seems like it's so far away and you go, Eric, I don't know if I can do that. Can you please talk to somebody else? It can make you feel like there's no hope, that there's no way to do it. And I'm here to say, no, we are working and we are disciplining ourselves for a crown that will last. And we can do this. We can turn the ship and there is hope. Can I have an amen on that? So if you're discouraged with your children or you're not doing it with your children, guess what? You're getting ready to be able to do it. So here's what I want to do. I want to just pray for a moment. 
and I want to break off shame of passive parenting and not doing it right. I want to break off the issue of kids away from the Lord, and I want to restore hope and that we can right the ship. I want, to, I want to declare hope that it's not too late and that we can correct this. I want to, I, I want to declare hope on that we are not going to lose this generation, that we are actually going to compel a generation of revivalists from this house who will go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and it will go, they will go to the nations and they will disciple the nations from this house, that this house is a house of revivalists. This house is a house where we raise up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God who will truly go globally. We have many who have gone globally, many who have done that, but there is more coming. There are more young people coming to this house. There are more young people coming to this house. There is a movement in this house of young adults who passionately love Jesus Christ. And there is enough older people here to disciple them, to grow them, to mature them, to teach them, to obey all that God has commanded them. That's who we are. And, but we've got to knock off shame of mistakes and shame of failure. Amen? So, Father, I come against shame in the name of Jesus. I take authority over condemnation of parents who've messed up who've not trained to disciple their, law, their, their children, those parents who have, who have uh, been passive. God, we just come against the shame of that, and I just say, God, in Jesus' name, would you remove the shame today as we walk through repentance, as we walk through God asking your forgiveness. Father, I thank you that you're going to break off shame today. So here's what I want to do. I want you to engage with me. I want us to walk through praying and confessing some things to God. Would you do that with me? I want us to confess. And I want you to get really serious with the Lord right now. Because the way shame is broken is by confessing the sin, confessing what we've done right, and then repenting and turning to doing what is right. Are you guys ready to deal with some shame? Are you guys ready to deal with some shame? Are you guys ready to correct the ship? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes, everybody. Even if you're a teenager. Maybe you're a teenager here and maybe your parents didn't do this. And so instead of you repenting for not doing it, you're going to repent for your parents and say, God, forgive my parents for not discipling me. Forgive my parents for being passive. Do you see what I'm saying? So everybody's engaged with this. Maybe your grandparents and your kids are already out. But you know what? You're still an influence. So here's what we're going to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I repent for being a passive parent. Now just take ownership of that. Forgive me for being a passive parent. Forgive me for not proactively discipling my kids. Forgive me for parenting out of fear. For letting my kids control me. Forgive me for not parenting.
Forgive me for making my kids an idol. Forgive me for making their schedule more important than your schedule. Feel that. Forgive me, Lord, for making my kids' schedule more important than your schedule, God. Forgive me for making the things of this world more important than what you wanted. Those are the things we're repenting of. We're repenting of making our kids our friends rather than being their parent. Forgive me for wanting to be their friend rather than their parent. Forgive me for not paying attention to what was going on in their life. Just do that. Ask him to forgive you. Forgive me for not watching the social media that they're on. Forgive me for letting them do whatever they want. Forgive me for believing the lie that if I discipline them and bring instruction, they won't want anything to do with me. Mm. What else do you need to ask him to forgive you for? Maybe you need to forgive your own parents for not discipling you, for not training you. about this one Jesus forgive me for being so busy and distracted with work and the things of this world that I've not paid attention to my children everything else has gotten my attention everything else has gotten my time rather than my children and their instruction about this one forgive me lord for expecting the church to disciple my children rather than me what else is the holy spirit convicting you of i know for me i was passive in areas i didn't i didn't i didn't do a good job of really showing my kids how to read the word and to study it And God, I ask that you forgive me for that. And I ask, God, that you would bless all the children and all the teenagers and all the young adults in this house, God, that, Father, that we would raise up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of you. Now, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, God, as we've confessed our sin for you, God, I thank you that your word says that you are faithful and, and you are always forgiving us of our sins. So, Lord, I thank you for releasing everyone from condemnation and shame right now. You have forgiven. Say, I'm forgiven. I receive your forgiveness, Lord. I thank you for forgiving me for being a passive parent. And I thank you, God, that you're going to give me the power to change. In Jesus' name. Now, here's where repentance really comes to play. Sometimes we think repentance is confession. We've just confessed our sin. But repentance is this thing where you turn and you do something different and you change. 
Repentance is about change. So my question for all of us as parents and as just believers in God, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn the ship and right the ship? What will you do? Will you be a part of discipling others to obey the Lord? Will you follow the plan that the leaders have set forth for the church in moving forward in this discipleship plan? Will you be a part of the reading program? Will you be a part of getting in a group? Will you be part of discipling your children? Will you be part of getting friends together and discipling others? Will you be a disciple that follows the ways of the Lord? Now, here's what we're doing. We've set a plan, and nobody can follow it if you don't want to. Alex and Jeff have done a wonderful job. And guys, this is a strategy. This is the HEAR journal is a tool to lead us in the right direction. And you can do it a different way. I get it. But I really, I really am praying for a unified effort within this house that we do this together. But here's the action plan for this week as we land the plane, it's noon. I really want to encourage you to form your family group or a friend group this week. If you need help, sign up today at the Welcome Center with our discipleship leaders, Alex and Jeff. Alex is going to be out there with a sign-up sheet. If you don't have any friends or you don't have anybody, you don't know who to get together with to start doing the reading program and hear journals with, I say go out there and sign up and we are going to help you get in a group. I know Karen and I, here's what we've done. We've talked to some young adults and on the same night of the week, on Monday night, what we're going to do, Monday nights at 6.30, we are going to have me with the guys downstairs and Karen with the girls upstairs. There's been some that have asked us, but there's been also people we reached out to. Wished I could disciple all of you. Wish Karen could disciple all of you. Ain't going to happen, is it? And so, but there's some people that, that we have chosen where we're going to do this and we're, we're going to meet on Monday nights. And so pick your night. Develop a family group with your children. If you've got children at home, then start there. If you don't have children at home, get a friend group and get some people together and start doing this together because this is the training and the equipping of us in discipline to, give, to move us forward. And decide the day of the week you're going to meet this week, we are starting today. The reading plan is out there on the Welcome Center. It's back there. And uh, we're going to actually uh, read over James chapter 1 and 2. And what I encourage you to do, read it over and over and over. And see what verse the Holy Spirit highlights to you as you read these chapters. And once you find a verse that, that the Spirit of God highlights, that's when you're going to do your first here journal. And you're going to take that scripture that the Lord highlighted this week, and this week you're going to do the HEAR journal, you're going to put it in, uh, it, the acronym stands for highlighted, and I'm not going to go over all that, it's all marked out. I'm not going to spend the time of doing that, they explained that last week. And so do your HEAR journal this week, and then the following week, which would be May 24th, that's when you would actually meet with your group the week of that 24th, and you would discuss your hear journals in that group meeting, and you would actually grow together in our walk with Christ in the Word. And then six, watch you and others grow in obeying His command. It, you will be amazed at what God does.
So take a picture of that if you want. Get your phone out, take a picture of that. That's your action plan. Everybody done? Okay. You can also, um, it will also be on Facebook group. Okay. So here's way. <clears throat> the four ways to get the reading plan and the hear journal. We are trying to make this as easy as possible for you to do today. You can either pick up a hard copy right on that round table right there or at the Welcome Center as you leave today. They are also posted on our group Facebook page, New Covenant Worship Center and Friends. Alex did that yesterday. It has one post is the reading plan of James chapter 1 and 2 and what each week it is doing and the memory verse that we're going to do. And in the other post is the what does the, the here journal, the group meeting look like to help you walk through what a group meeting looks like. It is also on that form as well. So you can get that and start doing that together. The third way is you can ask Alex at the Welcome Center if you want to email you a hard copy or you can go on our website under myncwc.com under our media and go to the recent sermons and there's a tab for a sermon notes which is this right here and that if you go to last week's or this week's Chad that little document right there is the notes on our website that you can go to and you can pull up those documents as well in order to help you walk through that discipleship plan. Does that look good? And remember, this is the why. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the why of why we're, why we're disciplining our lives and doing this together as we move forward in discipleship. Guys, do you believe you can do this? Man, get together with some friends. Take some young people underneath your wings. God is sending a grove of young adults and teenagers to this house. Look at this section, guys. I want you to take a look. Look at this. Guys, look at that section. And there's more spread out throughout the sanctuary. But I want, I want you to see what the Spirit of God's doing. And do you think that those guys want mothering and fathering? Do you guys want spiritual mothering and fathering? You want to grow in your walk with Christ? Absolutely. Let's disciple. Yes, Elijah. There's the other one right there. Absolutely. They want it and they need it. Grab someone. Allow the Spirit of God. Begin to pray and ask God, who are you going to put on my heart, God? And I'll do it. I'll say yes to it. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. We're going to pray. We can do this together, church. We really can do this. And I know, I know, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But I promise you, in time, it produces something amazing. Righteousness and peace come to your life. How many need some righteousness and peace? How many are experiencing some chaos 
and craziness at home. Well, this is one way that we're going to devote ourselves to following Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I just ask God as we close this service, Father, that you would empower and encourage the body of Christ to not take lightly the command of making disciples. Father, we're saying, yes, we are in. God, we want to do this. And so, Father, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to move on our hearts and to empower us, God, to move forward in this. Father, we come against those lies and the deception of the enemy that says it's not for us. And I thank you, God, that it is for us for this time, for such a time as this. And, Father, we thank you for it and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.